when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road, and the others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, Well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. I never saw that before. You can't sell a dove. We'll come back to that in a month. Ooh, then Peter got upset in Acts chapter 8. Somebody tried to buy the dove again. <laughs> come on. I got time for that. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Verse 14, listen to this, this part of Palm Sunday. And they were doing other stuff in the temple, all the stuff. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise for yourselves. And he left them out of the city into Bethany and spent the night there. Today is Palm Sunday. This is a, in reference to a cel the celebration recorded in all four Gospels where people welcome Christ into Jerusalem with exceeding great joy. They shouted Hosanna. Everybody yeah. say Hosanna. Hosanna. Come on, everybody, one more time. Say Hosanna. Hosanna. Hosanna is 
a cry for help with a voice of praise. One more time, Hosanna. Hosanna. It's, a well, it's, it's well and good that we should celebrate today. We know more than they did at the time, so we should celebrate more. Can we one more time, can I invite you, in fact, to stand to your feet and just let's give the Lord an applause of wonderful praise. Can we do that? Let's bless the Lord. Worship, you guys can go. Let's bless the Lord. Let's bless the Lord. You guys can be dismissed. Come on, bless the Lord together. Come on, just give him praise. We magnify your name. We thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Bless your name. Bless your name. Bless his name. Say it one more time. Hosanna. As you're seated, somebody say to the worship team, tell them thank you. The good job. Will you do that? Hosanna means, it does, it means save now. It is a cry for help, but it's not with a voice of, of, of uh, unbelief or despair, like, oh, somebody help. But it, it, it save, it, it, Hosanna sees the source of its salvation. So it cries for help with confidence that help is here. It's not, it's, it's not a coincidence, it might be, but I don't think it is one. That even the name, even when they shouted Hosanna, there's just a couple of vowel, just a couple of consonant changes, and it sounds just l- almost like Yeshua in the original. It would be hard, almost hard to distinguish the shouts of Yeshua from Hosanna. <laughs> Pretty cool. Because Yeshua means the Lord who saves. <laughs> So they're almost shouting his name. No, I, I don't, and I'm not trying to joke. I mean, they almost were shouting. I mean, it could, it's the same. Save now. They were saying his name. His name means the Lord saves. Save now. They were celebrating in anticipation of what Jesus would do or what they hoped he would do. The crowd at the time thought that he was coming to save them and to free them and to set things right again. And most of their hopes had political orientations, military overtones. They said, they said Hosanna to the son of David, and the son of David he is. But they, they were hoping that he would do some, he would throw down some David on some of their enemies. He would save them, but not in the way that they thought. He accepted their praise. He affirmed their shouts of Hosanna. He heard their cry for salvation. He healed the blind and the lame. He indeed had come among them to save them, and he would save all who believe on his name. But it was only afterward. That his followers more fully understood what Christ would do. He, he was coming to Jerusalem to be betrayed, to be arrested, 
to be tried and executed on a cross. He came to Jerusalem to die in order to save. Jesus died on the cross to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15, let me, let me say it again. It was the main verse last week. It's in your bulletin. It's a verse again this week. We are answering the question, why did Jesus die? 1 Timothy 1.15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is the second part of our answer. Last week we said God this the reason why Jesus died on the cross is because God loves you. That's the reason. But the result, why did Jesus die on the cross? The result, the goal, the focus was to save you. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I could not get away from that passage. It, it just kept rolling around inside, grab a holding of me as I, as I drive around and pray this week. So I thought, Lord, I, I've, I've got to just camp on that. He came to save sinners. Would you all say it out loud? He came to save sinners. This, that means that sin is real. Sin is real. And if you don't, first of all, if you don't take sin seriously, you cannot take the cross seriously. Next, it means that sinners need to be saved. If you don't acknowledge your own sin and your need for salvation, you, then you will reject your Savior. You cannot deny your need for salvation and, and at the same time accept Him as your Savior. But there is good news. Sin is real. Sinners need to be saved. And sinners can be saved because Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And what He starts, He finishes. He didn't just give it a good try. He didn't just give it a good whirl and take a, take a swing. And take a, I'm going to take me a run at that thing. No, he finished it. He came into the world to save sinners, and then he spread out his arms on the cross in John chapter 19 and said, it is finished. He's done it. Christ is victor. To be saved, what does that mean that he came to save sinners? So are we. <laughs> saved doesn't mean, saved, the, the word saved means to, it means to rescue. It means to preserve someone safe and unharmed. Save, in other words, friends, to save sinners means Jesus Christ didn't come to just forgive. I don't know many of you ever. They used to have, but they used to have bumper stickers before they were only designed to irritate people with your political opinions. Sometimes they were just fun, and uh, but that's a long time ago. Uh, but there used to be a little bumper sticker, I think, and then I, sometimes there's a sticker, sometimes it was a T-shirt, and it would say, uh, uh, "I'm not." I'm not perfect, just forgiven. And, and it was like, oh, well, that's, that's supposed to make people feel better that as a Christian, 
you can, you're, you know, it's okay that I'm a jerk because I'm just forgiven. It's okay that I just, that I still live like a sinner because I'm just forgiven. Is there anywhere in the Bible that says just forgiven? Jesus Christ came into the world to just forgive us. That's not what it says. Don't get Gordon all worked up. Gordon, I'm not really trying to pick a fight with you. <laughs> Jesus did not come to just forgive sinners. He came to save them. He came to save us, to rescue us, to preserve us safe and unharmed from sin and from sin's penalty and from sin's poison and from sin's power. I mean, nobody here would feel very saved if you were stuck in a debtor's prison. Trapped in walls of concrete under the yoke of burden and suffering. And then one day someone said, I've got good news. The governor says your crimes have been pardoned. Here's a letter. Now you're still stuck in this here concrete. And you're still going to live this life of misery and suffering. You're still going to live under the penalty and the poison and the power and the corruption and all of this mess. But good news, you're forgiven. I'll, I'll frame it. The gospel is not something that you just frame on the wall of your life and then you continue to live under the same oppression and burden that you've been living under. Jesus Christ did not come to just say, oh, you got a pardon. He came to pardon you, to forgive you, to deliver you, to set you free, to, to give you life. He came to save you. I'm working on it. <laughs> My God in heaven, this, people say, you know what I've said before out loud, that idea. Nobody, I don't like the phrase comparative religions. I know if you're here shopping for religion today, you're fixing to get offended. Just wait. I'm fixing to offend you. Here's why. Because there's no comparison. No comparison. I don't other religions, you need to go through this step and these eight steps. And if you try hard and don't eat and fast enough and go climb a mountain, maybe you can think of something and eventually empty your head and then disappear into nothingness. Oh, sign me up. Or another, another version that it is, if you feel real guilty and do enough things, and then maybe, just maybe, if you do enough good things, then maybe you get to have your own planet someday and choose among seven wives. I don't want that nonsense. I got me just the one, and that's enough. No, listen, you're more than, you're like, you're like El Shaddai. You're more than enough. Nonsense, comparative this, that, the other thing. Oh, and you know what? Another way to go to heaven is this. Are you fixing to get offended yet? Another way to go to heaven is this. You don't agree with me? I'm going to kill you. What's this? Not, oh, you mentioned that one. Why do I serve Jesus? Because he saved me. He saved me. He laid down his life for me and invites me to do that for other people. He, he died for me and then says, you want to follow me? You get to die too. Sign me up. That's my faith. I, this, is a, this is somebody who saved me, who did it for me. 
Nobody else preaches this. Nobody else has a message that says there was a God who became a man who died as you for you to set you free. And the way of salvation is to believe on him. There's no comparison. Blah, 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 followers gone, 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 gone. Report, report. Tell Mark, tell that Zucker feller, hey, that guy's saying things. <laughs> Anybody else want to sign up with follow Jesus? Anybody else that I don't want any of that other nonsense? I don't want to hang from a tree under bones. I don't want to do other kind of stuff. I just want to, I, I want to be saved. I want somebody to save me. I can't save myself. How did he do it? Ben, could you put the rhetorical sign on the screen, please? <laughs> I'm going to get somebody to hold a card and just walk across. Rhetor- it's a rhetorical question. <laughs> None of this was in my notes. How did he do it? How did he do it? He came to save sinners. He died to save us. How did he do it? Yeah. What happened on the cross? You know, I might not even get to preach. Y'all are doing it. It's fine. It's good. Let's just get it out there. Preach it. Get out there and say it here. Then say it back when you leave to the restaurant. Although the immediate audience did not understand right away. They, they didn't get it right away. His disciples, and the key word is this, his disciples, after the Holy Spirit come upon them, began to understand fully what Christ has done. It was after the Holy Ghost came. They said, oh, oh my goodness. Then they would begin to look back upon the scriptures and see how the Old Testament predicted and described all that Messiah would accomplish after his suffering. One of the most explicit texts in the Old Testament that foretold what Christ would accomplish by his suffering is Isaiah 53. The 53rd chapter of Isaiah is not the whole Bible, but it's significant in the Old Testament because, because the New Testament writers themselves, uh, they, as a group, they look back. Uh, Matthew does, Luke does, Peter does. They look back to that passage to understand and, then to, and as a leverage point to explain what Jesus Christ did on the cross, how he saved us. Matthew does it in Matthew chapter 8 and verses 16 and 17. Matthew was talking about uh, uh, a time when an, uh, after a Sabbath where Jesus has already been to Sabbath. He's gone to the synagogue. He's driven out a demon out of somebody because apparently the, that demon guy had come to church a long time and was happy doing it. Until Jesus showed up, he drives the guy out, drives the demon out with a word and the whole place, the whole, the whole community goes nuts. They say, wait a minute, we've never heard about this. Somebody being able to command an unclean spirit. There's a new sheriff in town. There's an authority that has come upon the earth. This is a brand new thing. Something is happening. And so word began to spread. And after sunset, when they could walk more than a little bit of a, a Sabbath distance, they began to gather up all of their sick and afflicted and tormented relatives. 
that guy, Uncle Phil, in the, in the basement that nobody talked to because he was tormented. They threw him scraps. I'm not kidding. They pulled people out of the basement, out of the attic. They pulled people out of the back room that they didn't even want anybody to know about. The people that had been screaming late at night and freaking out the neighbors, they said, there's a guy showed up in town. We finally have hope. They brought the sick, they oppressed the broken. They brought grandparents and parents and children who were sick and hurting and oppressed, whose bodies were riddled with disease. Some of them had to be drugged, some of them had to be carried, but they found out where Jesus was. And they came to the house where he was that night, and they, and they gathered around the house. They descended from the hillside, they came around. Jesus stepped out, and when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were ill. And Matthew says in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. The gospel of Luke, I mean the gospel of Luke, the second half of the gospel of Luke, the book of Acts, Luke is telling the story about an Ethiopian official that was traveling in his chariot, and, and uh, he is reading Isaiah 53, and he doesn't have any idea. He knows this sounds significant, but he doesn't know who or what it's about. And then the Lord sends Philip to go run alongside there and say, hey, bud, what you reading? And then he says, well, I'm reading about this thing in Isaiah 53. And he says, I don't know who, what? He said, is the prophet talking about himself or about somebody else? And, and Philip says, oh, he's talking about somebody else. And he begins to talk to this Ethiopian eunuch about the Messiah. And they pull over, and, he's, and they get baptized. The man places his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because he was reading from Isaiah 53. And later on, when Peter is writing to the, dis, to the dispersed and oppressed church under his care, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he, Peter reminds his readers that they, can, that they can live differently, that they can live triumphantly, that they can live free because of what Jesus Christ has done. And he again goes back to Isaiah 53, and he writes to, the, to them, and he says that he himself took bore his, our sins on, in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. Jesus Christ died to save us. Somebody say, to save us. I want you to listen to how Isaiah 53 describes the saving work of Jesus. Just look at verse 4, and four, 5, and 6 of Isaiah chapter 53. Let me read it to you from the New American Standard this morning. Here it is. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. I get so worked up, I, I want to stop and talk about it even as I'm reading it, but also I will. I want you to hear the intended rhythm in the passage, and I'll repeat this again. But there's a rhythm here of, of I would say, replacement or displacement. The rhythm here that the prophet is saying is that he is, the emphasis is not just on the grief or the sorrow or this or that. That's part of it. But the emphasis is on the fact that he, and then versus us, that he took what belonged to us. And the whole idea was that the immediate audience thought he was getting what he deserved. But, uh, but the prophet is trying to say, no, he took everything we deserved. 
So listen to it again. Here's the rhythm. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This passage affirms that Jesus Christ came to save us and explains how. It begins with this word, surely or certainly. In other words, what follows is most assuredly true, and the reader is warned to read this solemnly. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. He bore, he carried. Could you say it out loud with me? He bore, he carried. This, is, this, this one passage is actually an introductory phrase that describes the whole of what Christ has done. This is the introduction, and everything else is an explanation. So hear it again. He says, our griefs he himself bore. This word griefs is often translated infirmities. It means weakness in the body due to illness or overexertion. It means that, that, that the, human, the human body, the human condition is worn, worn down and grieved either by illness or by exertion. Too much. Worn out. It, in the most strict sense, it referred to, to, to very, very serious illness. But it includes all about us that is seriously broken. He lifted it. He bore it up off of us and onto himself. Our sorrows he carried. This word sorrows is often translated dis-ease. Hey, that sounds like disease. Yeah, that's what it means. <laughs> dis-ease. It means physical, mental anguish. To be afflicted. Things that afflict us. I don't want to overly assign meaning but if you but if but one of them could be something that that is happening within inside me things that are within infirmity and and, and heaviness and grief while the other might be understood as even the stuff that's coming in from outside the stuff that I'm that that's bearing down upon me our sorrows he carried things that afflict us he bore that load. He lifted it. He bore that load. He carried it away himself. Surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. He ent Jesus Christ entered into our brokenness and our pain and took it upon himself. And if you want to press this further, to see how thoroughly he has the, the, the message here is. He entered into our brokenness and pain not just to commiserate with us. 
but to take it from you. Saved. Somebody say saved. He didn't just climb down into that concrete prison cell and say, man, you're right. It's, you know, this is bad. Climbed down in there, and, and I want it's not the best analogy because I was going to say that he climbed down in there and, and, and then pushed us out. But somehow he took this burden, this thing that, that is on humanity because of our sin, and it's all a, a, a direct or indirect result of the sin, the sin, the sin consequence and the, the stuff that we've done to ourselves and to each other and the corruption and all of that. Sin has done all of this. And he and he got up underneath it with us, and then and then he <laughs> then he stood up, see, and carried it off. And so now, what was on us is on him, and it's no longer on us. Yet, yet we ourselves. Esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. We, the prophet says, the immediate audience, which at the time was the, the nation of Israel and those who actually cried, crucify him. Isaiah says that those who would behold his work assumed that the suffering one was bearing his own fault and punishment. That there was a disconnect. That disconnect still happens until we understand that when we, what we, when we see Jesus Christ, we should, we, we should not say, look, wow, that was him, but we should say, that should have been me. And in reality, whether you, whether you believe it or not, that was you. He became man and mankind and took upon himself all that was ours. The prophet continues and says, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was pierced for ours. He was taking upon himself what belongs to us. It is necessary that you and I recognize that what he took, what he bore, was ours so that we can be saved. He was pierced for our transgressions. Somebody say transgression. Transgression is a willful trespass. Here's the boundary line. I'm going to intentionally cross over it. A, a transgression is moral rebellion. Jesus Christ was pierced through because we have revolted against the way and will of God. He was pierced in order to forgive and atone for our transgressions. Wow, what a, that's such good news. It, doesn't, it, would be, it would be bad news just to say, hey, you did bad stuff. That would be bad news. And some, some of us, it would be old news. But the message of the gospel is not simply to remind us. It does reveal sin, but it's not simply to remind us or to bury us under our sin. It's not a message of condemnation. It's a message of hope that, that sin is real and sinners need to be saved. But it doesn't stop there. Sinners have been saved. He was pierced for our transgressions. For every time you and I have transgressed, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. 
in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He forgave, all, he forgave us all, all our sins. He forgave us all our sins. Wow. Nobody else can say that. Nobody else has that. That's not on anybody else's platform. He forgave us all our sins. Hosanna. How did he do it? Verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. So here's the, here's the charge against you. Here's the charge against you. Who am I going to look at? Oh, Lauren. It's a long one. Yeah. So there's a charge. It's ancient language. You can't read it. Here's the charge against you. And in, and, in, and in that Roman economy, there would have been there would have been a record of charges against you, and it was a receipt of what you've done. And that thing was a, it was a, it was a it was a it was a document that was hostile toward you. This is what Paul is talking about. The charges against you. Here are the charges against you, and here's what it's, and here's what he said: having canceled them, which stood against us and condemned us, he took it away. Oh, that's fine. That's what it says. But he obliterated it. He nailed it to the cross. And now instead of all of this, all you see, it's been smeared and obliterated with the blood of Jesus Christ. This thing is destroyed. He took it away. Someone say took it away. You can't find it. But he didn't nail it to the cross and leave it there as a memorandum. It's not sitting there like in a museum piece saying, oh, remember what you did? To put it on the cross. It's gone. It's gone. Somebody say it's gone. He came to save sinners. So he had to, he had to eliminate the charges against you. They're not just dropped. He didn't just drop the charges. He eliminated them. They, they, it's like they never existed. It's, it's, what's that word? It's just as if you've never sinned. Don't ever wear that just forgiven bumper sticker. I'll get all frustrated and murmur. First again, First Peter 2.24 again. He himself bore our sins. Your sin. You got to see this. He himself took all your sin. You did it. All, yours, all the, the, the sin that you've, that, you've, that you've committed, the power that you've lived under. He took it. So salvation is a choice. You want to keep that or you want to accept what he's done? Well, those Christians are mean-spirited, aren't they? Their whole message, you can keep your sin or surrender and accept that Jesus took it for you. So that we might die to sin. Die. Gone. Not only to... Not only so that there would be no more record of it, of it, but there would be no power of it against us. The prophet continues and says, he was 
He was crushed for our iniquities. Iniquity, oh boy, this is where we get, we got to push it even further. This is where the bumper sticker just goes all the way off the car. Listen, iniquity is not just the sin. Iniquity, come on everybody, get your faith muscles ready to flex. Are you ready? All right. I can't believe the things that are coming into my mind to say, so I'll say it. Here it is. Some of you that have been, that you have rehearsed every excuse in the books to, ex- to excuse your sin, to give yourself permission to keep sinning, listen to the next part. Some people sin by faith. They really do. They sin by faith. I'm a sinner. I do this. Oh, I just, this is the way, who I am, you know. Where's Brent? Is he in the room? Where'd Brent, did he leave? Brent, you're, where's dad? Oh, there you are. See, I was looking to pick on a German, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was looking to say, remember, I always have to say, you know, I'm, it's my temper. I'm a German. You know, I invade my neighbors. Uh, but listen, iniquity is not just the sin. It's the propensity toward it. It's that, that inclination. It's the pattern. It's the habit, the inclination of the soul toward sin. But he was crushed to deal with and to destroy the inclination of the heart toward sin. Yeah, you're not just forgiven. He actually doesn't want you to do that anymore. What? Yeah. He actually doesn't want you to forgive you of the sin and then help you stop doing that anymore. What? He's sa- That's what it means to be saved. So that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, knowing this, you got to hear this, that our old self was crucified with him. In order that our, that our body of sin might be done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Wow. He saved us. Somebody say he saved us. He's he, not done yet, and I got him more time. The, and then he says, the chastising for our well-being fell upon him. Oh, come on. Not only he took the grief, he took the sorrow, he took the piercing, he, he, he took our place, he, he was punished and bruised, he took all the iniquity, he took all the sin, he took all the junk, and then, and then he takes more so that he can give us something. What? Now he says, listen, the chastisement for our well, this well-being, that's, that's the end of the numeric center, our well-being, because they're trying to get the biggest phrase they can, to be well. This word well-being, yeah, it is. It is the Hebrew word shalom, peace. It's one of the most important words in the Old Testament. It means prosperity and peace and health and completeness and safety. He was chastised so that you could receive, so that you would become a benefit. You could receive the benefit of his peace. He was punished to bring you peace. He was punished to bring you peace. Let's say it out loud. He was punished to bring us peace. I can't fully explain to you how, but I am overwhelmingly grateful that it is true. 
peace, the shalom, this, this well-being from heaven is a paid-for part of your salvation because of the punishment of Jesus, because of the punishment he took. Hosanna, they cried. Save now. Bless now, they cried. And by his scourging, we are healed. By his wounding. This word means to be beaten and pounded. And years ago, I was was meditating on this, and I don't know where it came from because it's not like I did this a lot, but the image that came to my mind, the the picture that came to my mind that that to best understand what the Scripture is describing is if uh, I suppose we could, now if we wanted to clean this rug right here, we'd just run a vacuum over it or something, you know. But back in the day, what would they do? Yeah, you take this thing outside, hang it over it, and you wail on it. Over and over again, you'd beat it until you had beaten all the debris and the dust and the filth off of it. And that's what he did. And that's what happened. He was beaten. He was scourged by his wounding. By all, all, he took all of that so that all of the debris and all of the dirt and all of the filth and all of the disease and all of the stuff, all of the garbage would be driven off of your life. Wow. By his wounds, you have been healed. Many will make sort of a a spiritual metaphor out of this thing. It means general spiritual healing. And it certainly is general and it certainly is spiritual, but it is real. It is a tangible part of what Christ purchased for you. Healing. Believe that. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Know this. He paid for that. The prophet said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Each of us. Everybody in the room has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. We've all gone astray. We've all gone our own way, which is the wrong way, the worst way. And in this context, it means the way of disobedience and sin. But he has caused all our iniquity to fall on Christ. Do you hear this? Are we hearing this afresh? This is, let me say it. Don't get offended by the way I'm saying it. This is your religion, friends. This is the meaning. This is the the, the, the this is what you believe to be true about God. If you are a Christian, this is what you believe. You believe that God took all of your iniquity and all of the iniquity of the person next to you and all of the iniquity of the people driving by us on the road, that he took all of their sin, every sin they have ever committed, and gathered them up and placed them upon his own son. Don't tell me comparatively. There's no comparison. There's only one name, only one man that was that they, when they saw him, they said, Hosanna. The only thing you can do for this Savior is take off your coat and lay it down. The only thing you can do for this Savior is make room for him and welcome him. You can either accept what Christ has done or accept your own sin. Here's the good news, my friends. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. 
The cross was how he did it. Why did Jesus die? Because he loved you and to save you. Good Friday is this weekend, and we will walk through a little bit more of the the specifics of the cross. We will take an unbashful look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the more we understand the power of the price he paid, the more we will revel and give thanks and live in the victory of what he purchased by that price. I encourage you to be with us on Good Friday. It won't be long, but it will be good. But for today, it's Palm Sunday. It's the day the crowd shouted Hosanna. They didn't even understand at all. They, they understood not much. They had hope. And it was just, just, just a glimpse of the hope they had. When, when, when Matthew says the city was stirred, that's the same, it's funny how the, our English Bible stirred. It's the same word that you would use if you were describing an earthquake. The city, it wasn't just like they thought, oh. The place shook with enthusiasm. Because the crowd, because when hope gets turned loose, can't stop it. And I'll tell you what, it's not that they were wrong, they just weren't right enough. But you and I, my friends, we're right. Meaning we know. We know what he really did. And it's way better than just one more military victory. They were literally that happy because they thought they were going to have a military victory. We know how long those always last. But we know that he won victory for eternity. He won a battle that no one could ever take. He he took ground that could never be taken from him. He is the name above every name. He has achieved a salvation that will last for the ages of eternity. Can we stand together one more time and just give him thanks? Come on, let's just give the Lord thanks and praise. Come on, everybody, lift your hearts and your hands, your voices. Would you praise Him? Lord, we praise You today. We praise You today. We praise You today. Lord, we too, we shout Hosanna. Save now, Lord. You are the Savior, the Blesser, the Healer, the Redeemer. You are the one. You you took it all. Jesus, You took it all for us. You have saved us. You have saved us. You are the Savior. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. If this was your last Sunday on earth, if this was your last Sunday on earth, can I ask you right now, do you you know him as your Savior? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Meaning, and you know, you have either either accepted what he has done for you or you've kept it to yourself. Come on, everybody, just bow your heads in prayer just before we go away. Do you know him as your Savior? Don't leave here. I'm going to say it like this. Don't leave here today unsaved. The price has already been paid. The work's already been done. 
All you, all your, you, your job is to believe and to receive this for yourself. You cannot save yourself. He saved you. You, but he leaves it to you to accept it. He will not force it upon you. Will you? Is there anyone here in this room today? Is there anybody, or your God bless you, if we're still running on that, if they haven't canceled us on Facebook yet. If you listen today, if you can hear me today, do you know Jesus as your Savior? If you do not know him as your Savior, but you want to know him as your Savior today, please, right now, would you lift up your hand right where you are? Don't leave it. Come on, right now, just shoot it up. Say, I've got to know him as my Savior. I don't want to live under shame, under guilt, under penalty, under the power or penalty of sin any longer. I want to be saved today. I see you, sis. I see you. Anybody else? Come on, put your hand in the air. Say, today I've got to know him as my Savior. What song are you singing? Are you just strumming or are you singing Okay, sing it slow and go. I want to ask another question. There's anybody else, anybody else now this morning, and I, you you came here under the under the burden of affliction or oppression or pain. You, in other words, you need healing. You need deliverance. You feel oppressed in your soul. You feel you feel pain in your physical person. You you would you would come and just say, Lord Hosanna, save me, help me today. Anybody here? You need the touch of Christ in your body. Lift up your hand right where we are. Okay, if you need prayer today, I want you to come. Everybody who raised your hand, whether you want to know Christ as your Savior or you need Him to be your healer, your helper, your deliverer today, come. Please come right now. Don't hesitate. We, come on, come on right down here. I need people to help me right now. Mrs. D, right here, right here. Come talk to this lady. Lauren, okay, everybody else right here. Find somebody who needs prayer. Find somebody who needs prayer. Get your hands on them. Make sure they know what's going on, what they, what, what they need. Come on, let's go after this. Aaron, begin to sing that chorus. Everybody just give, just worship the Lord for a moment.